by Luke. He's that important. Um, And Cleopas actually isn't mentioned anywhere else in the Gospels, so we don't really know who he is. We just sort of assume that these two are part of the wider group of people who followed Jesus. Um, But they're not given that much importance. What were they doing on the road to Emmaus? Probably running away, it seems. It seems that they stuck around in Jerusalem for a few days after Jesus' death, perhaps to see what would happen, perhaps just keeping their heads down, not wanting to be associated with this Jesus who'd been crucified. And it seems that they had heard the, resu- the, the stories that Jesus had risen. They'd heard the rumours from the women, and yet they'd not believed them. And it seems that at this point, on the road to Emmaus, they were running away. They'd, they'd given up. They'd realised, well, they'd decided for themselves that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah. And so they decided, you know, we'll go home. The dream was dead. So what do we read? Well, Jesus comes alongside them, and I'm reading from verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. So this is the first thing I want to mention. What does Cleopas say about Jesus? He says he was a prophet, a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And I think this this makes a good kind of title to this whole passage, really, because this is the thing that was about to change for Cleopas and his companion. They thought Jesus was a prophet, and I think perhaps that's the highest view anyone can hold of Jesus without having met the resurrected Jesus for themselves. And this was the thing that was about to change for these two guys on the road to Emmaus. They begin this journey thinking Jesus is a prophet. And they finish it knowing who he really is. So we read on. And Cleopas explains to Jesus what has happened in Jerusalem these last few days. Going on from where I left off, he says, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's now the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see. I think it seems so obvious to us when we read that little explanation from Cleopas. It seems like, you know, why didn't they get it? If we think back to Jesus' words in Luke 9, it's so obviously what Jesus predicted would happen. Back in Luke 9, we have that kind of turning point in Luke where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. And just after that, in Luke 9, 22, Jesus said, 
the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Cleopas even mentions the fact that it's three days since these things happened, and yet still he doesn't get it. He still doesn't recall these words of Jesus. I think there's quite a telling phrase, though, in the middle of what Cleopas says that sort of tells us why they didn't get it. Verse 21, he says, But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, let me explain. I think this phrase tells us quite a bit about why they didn't get it. And the reason for that is this little word, redeem. He uses that word, redeem. And we're quite used to using this word, redeem, in in church to mean, you know, to talk about what Jesus has done for us. But that's not how Cleopas is using it here. You see, for the Jews, this word redeem harkens back to the Exodus. If we, we read in Deuteronomy 15:15, 15, 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. This is why I give you this command today. That word redeem for the Jews was a kind of watchword for what God did leading them out of Egypt and into the promised land and so they were expecting a sort of Messiah who was going to come and do the same again lead them out of Roman occupation and settle them in the land, lead them as a nation make them a great people again perhaps that tells us a bit about why they didn't get it and it was so off their radar that their Messiah might come and die on a cross and suffer the most horrific execution to save all people, not just the Jews. So they didn't get it. What's Jesus' response? What does he do? Well, reading from verse 25, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What does Jesus do? He opens the scriptures to them. And actually Luke leaves us in the dark over what scriptures he opened to them. But I don't think that matters. I think there's a lesson here for us in how we use the Bible. I think sometimes we can go to the Bible like we would go to a car manual. If you've got a problem with your car, you look in the manual to find the answer. And sometimes we can have life problems and think, I'll go to the Bible like that and look for an answer to this problem. But actually, I think what Jesus shows us here is that that's not the right approach to Scripture. The right approach to Scripture is that it all points to Jesus. And so we read it to see more of Jesus. And that's when our own situations are put into perspective, when we see more of Christ. I think there's something interesting to note here, and that is that Cleopas and his companion probably knew these scriptures pretty well. These scriptures that Jesus quoted to them would have been really familiar to them, probably far more familiar than our Bibles are to us, because they didn't have their own pocket Old Testament. They probably have known large parts of it by heart. And yet still they had not seen that this pointed to Jesus. They needed somebody to explain it to them. 
Many of you will know I study theology at university, and one of the things that I find quite sad is that so many of my lecturers know the Bible really well, and yet don't believe it. And when I first started studying, that troubled me a lot. And the reason it troubled me so much was because so much of our evangelism as a Christian union is based around trying to get people to read the Bible for themselves. And I think there's good sound reasons for that. You know, if it's God's word, then God's word has power to change people's lives. But for me, the question was then, well, my lecturers are reading the Bible every day. Why are they not coming to believe it? And I think the conclusion I came to is that although the Bible is plain for us to understand, our hearts are hard. And just like Cleopas and his companion, we're blind. We need our eyes opening to see Jesus in the scriptures. Now, for Cleopas and his companion, they had the resurrected Christ walking with them to explain the scriptures to them. For us, it's a bit different. We don't have the resurrected Jesus sitting with us when we open the Bible in the same way that they did. But for us, we have the Holy Spirit instead. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to continue the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see Jesus in the scriptures. And I think that should really transform the way, the way we go to the Bible. Rather than going to it like it's a dead book, like a, like a car manual, instead we go to it as a living word. And it's a living word that shows us more of a person who we have relationship with. It means that rather than going to it when, just when we've got a problem, if we really want to grow in this relationship we have with Jesus, we will want to go to it whenever, as much as we can. So we go on with the passage and we know what happens. Um, they reach Emmaus, they invite Jesus in for tea, and he breaks bread, and suddenly their eyes are open, the penny drops. They get it. But what were their eyes open to see? What did they suddenly get? Well, I think it all comes back to this word redeem that I talked about before. I mentioned before how the Jews used it to talk about um, a physical Messiah, a new exodus. But we use it in a different way, and the rest of the New Testament uses it in a different way. That same word redeem is used by Paul in Titus 2, and I just want to read a short passage from there because I think this really explains what that word redeem means for us in terms of what Jesus has done for us. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, I've not got time right now to go through that word by word, but I think there's four things there that stand out to me about that redeeming. And I just want to bring them out quickly. Firstly, in verse 11, he talks about how it's an offer of salvation to all people. Now, for most of us, we're not Jews. And so if Jesus had been the sort of Messiah they were expecting, we'd never have been offered salvation. 
And yet the salvation he offers is for all people, it's for us. Secondly, that verse 12 is all about sin and holiness. And actually the reason the Jews ended up in exile was because of their sin. And that sin is our fundamental problem. And that's the problem Jesus came to deal with. He didn't come to deal with something you know, that isn't really our problem, like you know, where we live for the Jews being occupied by the Romans wasn't their main problem. The main problem was sin. Third thing, there's this little phrase in there, while we wait. And I think what that tells us is that Christ didn't come to establish a physical kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. And actually, that's so much better. If he'd come to establish an earthly kingdom, a nation of Israel... Some people might have been able to experience it for 60 or 70 years whilst they're alive on earth. But then it's over. Whereas he came to establish an eternal kingdom, which we can all be a part of for eternity. So much better. And finally, we come to that word redeem. And I've talked about how Christ came to deal with our actual problem, sin. But he not only redeemed us from something, sin, but he redeemed us for something, And that something is for relationship with him. That that last verse, verse 14, it says, he gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And that's just it. Christ didn't just come to deal with sin. He didn't just take our sin. But he gave us his status before God and his righteousness. And that means that the relationship we can have with God is so much more than we ever could have done in any other way otherwise. It means we're invited into that relationship that Christ has had with God for eternity past. So what was their response after the penny dropped? What did they do? Well, we read, reading from verse 31, Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. What did they do? They just had to get back on the road again and go back and tell the others. They couldn't keep it to themselves. This was such good news. They'd, we can almost picture the change. They'd done that journey in absolute misery. Like, you know, this dream dead. And yet, all of a sudden, they meet the risen Christ. And they're transformed. They realise that this dream that they had wasn't the real dream anyway. It wasn't really the real deal. So I just want to sum up, I just, I've mentioned a few things as I've gone through that this passage has got to say to us today. And I just want to bring out three things, um, just to sum up what I've mentioned. Firstly, the way Christ redeems us, I've mentioned that and talked about that for quite a while. It's so much more than what the Jews were expecting. And actually this should help us to see that the gospel is good news. Sometimes we can think, I think that we can fall into the trap of thinking that Christianity is just like any other religion. You know, you do good things, you get a good reward. But if it was that, it wouldn't be good news. 
Because as we all know, we're, we're so sinful, we could never do enough good stuff. And yet the reason the gospel is good news is because Christ has done it all. Secondly, God redeemed us from something, but he also redeemed us for something. And that's for relationship with him. And I I talked about how we should use the Bible. And the point of it is we see more of Christ in the scriptures through the Holy Spirit opening our eyes. We can know him. And thirdly and finally, I think the thing that this speaks to me about is how naturally blind we all are. I think it's easy to look at the disciples in judgment and think, yeah, why didn't they get it? What a bunch of wallies. But actually, I think at some point we were all just as blind as they were. At some point, there was a point in our lives when we didn't know Christ. And yet God has opened our eyes, brought us to know him. And actually that gives me hope that those around me who don't know Jesus can come to know him. However blind they might seem, God can open their eyes. And he might not do it immediately, he might not do it in the time I expect him to do it. But his plans cannot fail.